Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and again we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. Uh, We are just coming off the first week after the Burning Bush Festival, and we had a number of people here. We had a lot of great visits, uh, a lot of stirring in in the spirit, I think, and uh, but we also had uh, some absent hearts uh, that were not here, and uh, that goes with the territory. We're preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God, that we're supposed to be seeking as the living. It's not for after we die, it's for right now on the planet, in this world we call Earth, uh, but it's not of the world, the constitutional orders and systems of government of the world. It's separate from the world. And unfortunately, most of the people are not separate from the world. They are back in the bondage of Egypt. They're back in bondage and uh, entangled again in the yoke of bondage. And it's actually worse today than it was in the bondage of Egypt. People are very comfortable. A lot of people are. Some people are not. But uh, it is common that people don't care about their neighbor today as much as they care about themselves. They like to think they do. But unless they are getting something out of a relationship, they don't really care about other people. Uh, they, they enter into churches today and synagogues and mosques to get a feeling of belonging and a feeling of support and a feeling of justification and a feeling of this, that, and the other thing. But they're not really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If they were, they would not be coveting their neighbor's goods that the agency of men who exercise authority one over the, the other because Christ forbid that. You know, I was looking up this morning again, and of course we've got articles on it. Uh, how many places did Jesus use the word command, uh, where he commanded something? And uh, actually, he commanded evil spirits, he commanded the wind to stop, but he only really commanded people one time. And we see that in Mark uh, 6, 39, where he commanded them to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because in that pattern, as actually it's uh, commanded them to sit down, we see the word fifties instead of hundreds. But if you understand how the mathematical mind of the Greeks work, <laughs> what uh, they had 5,000 men and their families. So they're going to sit down and actually if you look in their Greek you'll see, you know, they talk about ranks and they, they, there are several words there that are not translated into the English. But the, the concept is, is that there was 5,000, so we're talking 1050s, uh, in this pattern of tens, which makes 10 tens make 100. So we end up with 5,000. And they had to organize themselves in that pattern. It was commanded by Christ that the to make the people sit down, to gather in companies, 
uh, upon, it says actually the green grass in the King James, but it's actually a word that kind of means yellow green grass, because this was probably the Feast of Tabernacles in the fall. Uh, it could have been a spring feast, because they gathered a couple times a year, and the reason they gathered a couple times a year is to make sure, you know, in ancient Israel, that everybody was organized in this tens, hundreds, and thousands. Uh, to the tunes of not just 5,000 people, but maybe 5 million people. And through that network, they were able to love one another, take care of one another. They didn't just care about their local congregation. They cared about other congregations all throughout the network equally. They cared about their neighbor as much as themselves, but that neighbor included the neighboring congregations. Now, these congregations were not entities. They were free assemblies. That's the way they were described in the Old Testament. And, of course, that's what the early church congregations were. They were free assemblies because they were not based on force. Even though we see that word, make the people sit down, they didn't make them sit down by force. They required that they sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands or there would be no loaves and fishes. And there were no loaves and fishes until everybody, thousands of people, had organized themselves in this pattern. And, you know, we wrote the book Thy Kingdom Come to show you over and over again that this pattern was used by the early church. Later on, there'd be churches that come along and don't use this pattern uh, they would have a central authority and everything would come from the top down and they would send you your minister and you had to pretty much accept them and uh, you had to accept their doctrines and it was a top-down organization. And then, of course, people rebelled against that, protested against that, and they formed organizations that operated different than the top-down organization, but... Still, the ministers were somebody you were to submit to. They were to tell you what you could wear and how you should think and maybe even who you could marry. And they, But they did not form the tens, hundreds, and thousands, ten, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. That was the early church, the network. And, of course, that's why in the ten hundreds, they, the authoritarian church had been able to march into valley after valley and, and just take over one community after another because the people did not care about the next valley as much as they cared about their own. Now today we have things like telephones and texts and, and uh, ways of communicating over vast distances so we can find out what's going on in the next valley. And we can find out what's going on in the next congregation. And we can drive all the way across the country, as some people did, in order to meet with people to get to know them and improve that relationship that comes with actual face-to-face contact. Uh, But we're not doing it. Because we're satisfied in our local congregation or we're satisfied with sitting in our house and reading the Bible and interpreting it the way that we want to interpret it, we're satisfied with our little home churches or our Lutheran churches or Methodist churches or Assemblies of God because all those organizations are designed to make you feel good. You get something out of going to church. I don't know how many times I hear people saying, I don't get anything out of going to that church or I don't get anything out of going to that church or this church has better music and I feel so good after I go to church. 
And that's what they're going to church for, to get that good feeling. But that's not why Christ... Christ didn't come to get a good feeling. And if you're going to come in the character of Christ, in the name of Christ, you can't come together to get a good feeling. You actually have to come together to lay down your life in a righteous way that would be in accordance to the righteousness of God. So that you can pick up your life more abundant. If you come together to feel good or to feel justified or to uh, think, well, I'm pretty good because I help out this person. I do great signs and wonders. You may be counted, as Christ warned, as the apostles warned, as a worker of iniquity. And of course, if we had been doing what Christ actually said for the last hundred years, for the last thousand years, the world would not be in the present state that it is in. Now, some people will say, oh, yeah, well, it was prophesied that the world was going to be in this state or that state or it was going to, that people would be under strong delusion, so there's nothing we can do about it. Well, the question is, are you under that strong delusion too? Because it's an individual walk towards the kingdom, individual seeking of the kingdom. It's, it's you and God. It's not you and your imagination about God. You know, that's what people think religion is, what you think about God. But that's not what religion is. Religion, you know, a hundred years ago was what you did. Two hundred years ago, it was your acts, your pious acts in fulfillment of your duty to God and your fellow man. Now religion is what you think. So you can sit in your house, you can sit in your little local congregation and think this about Christ. Think this about God, but is it the real Christ? Is it the true God of creation? Are you coming in the name of Christ? So anyway, in the news, we had a number of different things that came up since the Burning Bush Festival, actually this week, and I like to go to the news to make our talks relevant and then talk about those timeless values that are relevant no matter what's in the news. In, in the news, one of the things we see is that Walmart, uh, is going to ban, I think, the selling of guns and, and, uh, certain guns and pistol ammunition and uh, ammunition that can go into large clips. That's actually quite a bit because almost every rifle will have a large clip. So that would be really cut down on the mount. And they're doing this because they care about people. And, uh, of course, Bernie Sanders in the news said that his, uh, his administration, his platform would include population control. And, uh, so we need abortion to curb population growth for climate change. Well, wait a minute. Walmart's not gonna sell guns and ammunition because they care about the lives of people. And Bernie is going to include abortion because he thinks it's going to help curb the population growth and therefore help with climate change. Well, why don't you just sell everybody the guns and we'll decrease the population that way if guns are really a threat. <laughs> you know, what, what, what do you want, more people or less people? If you want less people, then go ahead and sell the guns. You know, I mean, we they, they talk about uh, guns in the United States killing so many people in, in a single year. You know, and somebody wrote a deal where they say, I kill 88,000 people in the United States every year. I kill 
43,000 underage children every year. I am responsible for 190,000 visits to the ER by people under 21. And over 40% of all children in the 10th grade illegally use me. I am the cause of 1.4 million acts of violence committed between strangers. And I am present in nearly half of all violent crimes up to and including homicide, rape, assault, and abuse. Well, you know, he had this little mem up where he was talking about these things. Each day I am used by illegal means 300,000 times. That's every day. Uh, but only 3,200 people are arrested. So a lot of people are getting away with using this thing that causes all these deaths. Well, that thing is alcohol. It's not guns. He had a picture of a gun underneath it, but he, he finally had a little post that said, the picture of this gun is irrelevant to the statement. <laughs> so anyway, well, we tried out law and alcohol, and we actually created the mafia uh, with that, so that idea of out, outlawing something that you think is causing deaths is really not the solution. Uh, we try outlawing drugs, and we have a huge underground drug industry. So that isn't the solution. So evidently, outlawing guns will probably bring more violence in the long run, some way or another, because it doesn't seem to work to outlaw these things to protect people. And then why are you doing that if you want to decrease the population? Why can you only kill unborn innocent children to decrease the population, but you can't kill robbers and thieves? You know, it doesn't make any sense. But this is the illogical logic of today's uh, media and today's uh, political correctness. You know, they talk about guns killing 39,000 people with firearms-related deaths. Well, that includes suicide, which is 60% of those deaths. It includes uh, police officers shooting bank robbers and murderers. And uh, it includes people defending themselves. I mean, there was, I could give you a list of home invasions and attacks on people. You know, uh, Stephen Williford killed a guy with his AR-15. Of course, he ended the rampage of that guy killing all kinds of people. Well, that, that death of that guy who was killing all those people, his death is counted in those homicides. So, because it, it, somebody was killed. It, they're not just talking about, and that's the way they do these statistics, they're not just talking about somebody getting shot. And, uh, you know, we could name all kinds of other people, Gene Assam and Donald Moore and Carolyn Gudger and Aaron Guten and Nick Mallet and Jonathan Bear and Clint Lee Silverman and Kenneth Hammond and Lisa Castellano. You know, just names go galore, but you won't know those names. Those are people who stop crimes because they had a gun. Well, if Walmart gets its way, they won't have a gun. It, and I don't want to pick on Walmart, but, you know, the gun control advocates, those people won't have guns and they won't stop crimes. But but if you assume that the criminals won't have guns, then I guess you assume that if you outlaw alcohol, nobody will have alcohol. Or if you outlaw drugs, nobody will have drugs. Because that isn't going to be the case. And what it is is that thousands of people will die. <laughs> Because nobody will have the means to defend themselves. Which is why all these mass shootings take place in gun-free zones. 
But people don't see the the logic of that. They don't see the reasonability of that because they're they don't have eyes to see it. You know, like AR-15s. Oh, these. Uh, I heard uh, is it De Blasio was saying that uh, there's absolutely no reason that anybody should have an AR-15. We don't need these big round clips. Uh, to, and that there's absolutely no reason to do it. Of course, he has armed guards. Uh, that have, you know, semi-automatic weapons protecting him and his family all the time. So he doesn't think anybody needs that. But if you don't have those armed guards, you have to do it. And I can give you, I can just go down a list of all the people that used AR-15s to protect themselves from uh, home intruders and from thugs and murderers. You know, I mean, the you, you can go to almost, the, you know, Harris, Texas. 12-year-old sister and a 15-year-old boy were found uh, home invaders coming into their house and the boy used his father's AR-15 to stop them. They could be dead today if they weren't stopped. They were violent criminals and uh, he was able to stop them. Two armed burglars uh, came in in Rochester, New York and they were stopped by somebody with an AR-15 in Ferguson, Missouri. There were people who... uh, guarded you know businesses and gas stations and stores during the the riots and they did so with AR15s most of the guns that are used to stop crimes and you know like what do you think the number of the guns that are used to stop crimes is how many guns do you think are used to stop crimes how many incidents of that per day and how many of those crimes would have ended in death you know like the uh in broken arrow oklahoma where uh homeowner's 19 year old son used an ar-15 to stop three would-be burglars invading their home or uh catawab county illinois where a 17 year old uh successfully uh defended you know, against three uh, would-be attackers in the driveway of his home. You know, I mean, the incidences just go on and on. I mean, there was just one in Florida the other day where four guys busted in and with guns and shooting at the homeowner who defended his house with an AR-15. And uh, two of the men were shot. And he was wounded also, but he survived it. Well, if he only had a couple of bullets, he might not have survived. And the other guys would have won. So, but nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to see that two and a half million crimes are stopped. This is, this is, these are CDC statistics and, and, you know, you can go back to 1995, the, the Gary Kleck and Mark Gertz estimation of 2.4, actually almost 2.5 million crimes, uh, were thwarted each year. In the U.S. using guns. Well, people want to take that away. So that means you're going to have 2.5 million more crimes. And one-sixth of those crimes are estimated to have been life-threatening crimes. Where somebody would have likely died had the person who stopped the crime not been armed. And so we're talking 400,000 lives per year saved. But really, gun control really isn't about saving lives. Nobody... You take all those guns away and then they're not going to save 400,000 people. 
And if they do, they're going to be arrested, like the guy in New York who was attacked and assaulted in his home and defended himself. And and the use of the gun was considered absolutely legal, but he had failed to register the gun. He didn't buy it illegally. He just inherited it when his father died. And when his father died, what was in the house now was his, and that included the gun. And he didn't run down and register it. In his name, I mean, it had been, belonged to his father, and it was just in the house. And the last thing you're thinking about, oh, my dad is dead. I better go register his guns. But he's facing years and years in jail. He's in a orange jumpsuit, handcuffed, you know, 70-year-old guy, handcuffed and being prosecuted because these people have no understanding of justice and righteousness. They think they're Christians, but they are not. Now the question is, are you a Christian? Can you think clearly? These people can't think clearly. I mean, you can look at the uh, studies by the, that were done by the CDC uh, at the command of President Bill Clinton and uh, studies done by the Department of Justice in 1995, 1994, 2000, 2003, and they all say that the presence of guns stops crime. Anywhere where there's an increase in the number of guns amongst the law-abiding citizen, crime goes down. Any place you have a gun-free zone where you don't allow citizens to have guns, that's where you end up with mass murder and more and more crimes. And most cops realize that. Most sheriffs realize that. Most chiefs of police realize that and say that. But they're not going to tell you in the media because they're obsessed with the idea of disarming the people. Probably not a good idea. But really, the kingdom of heaven is a is about responsibility. So what does guns have to do with the kingdom of heaven? Well, all these things about the guns is about people taking back their responsibility to protect themselves, their neighbors, their community from those people that are out of control, robbing, murdering, getting drunk. Because remember, most of those uh, violent crimes are associated with alcohol or drugs. Uh, most of them are related with alcohol and probably a large percentage of the ones that are left over are related to drugs. I mean, most of the deaths in the inner city are due to drugs. And all the drugs and alcohol is about a lack of self-control. Well, why do you have a lack of self-control? It's because you have an addiction. That's what we call it, an addiction. But that addiction is really the result of trauma. That you, trauma that you could not handle by yourself. You needed support from others. It was too much for you and that trauma led to an, eventually to an addiction. Well, we're addicted to the governments of the world who exercise authority one over the other. We're addiction, addicted to their benefits and we want to justify taking those benefits even though they come by taking the blood of our neighbor, taking a bite out of the flesh of our neighbor. Because that's what we're warned against. We'll be right back for the keys to the kingdom and find out how to do something about this. Okay, well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We were talking about trauma and addiction 
Well, people are addicted to alcohol, people are addicted to anger, people are addicted to religion, people are addicted to philosophies and ideas, and they depend upon those philosophies, ideas, for personal justification, for personal comfort. You know, people you know, are addicted to alcohol because they get a comfort from drinking alcohol. Now they're also going to get a hangover. I mean, people go out and take meth, and you you can see meth people, you know, with sores, and they're losing weight, and they can't concentrate. I mean, how many people have seen those charts of pictures, you know? You take a picture of somebody who looks like a healthy, attractive, um, you know, person that you might, you know, like to meet on the street. And then you see them three years later, sometimes two years later, and they look like, where, what happened to them? And their teeth are falling out, and they've been on meth. And everybody knows that that's what meth does, but yet still people go and take meth. Because the trauma of life is greater than the trauma of meth. Heroin is killing thousands of people. Of course, now you can go and get drugs that... uh are prescribed by a doctor that will kill thousands and thousands of people, far more people than are killed by guns. But uh, you can go to the pharmacy at Walmart and they will give you those drugs. But they won't give you ammunition for good people to defend themselves. Uh, and it's crazy. I mean, uh, there's hundreds of millions of guns in this country and only a tiny, tiny, tiny little percent, probably less than 1% of them are used in crimes. Yet we know, you know, millions of times every year they're used to stop crimes. So it's just common sense that, well, no, guns aren't bad. Guns stop bad people with guns and bad people with baseball bats and bad people with knives and bad people that want to hurt and kill and rob and steal. But nobody wants to look at that. Or, like, I mean, some people obviously do, but there is an element in society that doesn't want to look at that. So, you know, we we have the websites preparingyou.com and, and hisholychurch.org, and on there you can find articles on religion to find out what religion is. And religion is one of the most addictive substances known to man. You know, what what did the the communists say? Religion is the opiate of the people. But religion originally was how you took care of the needy of society and pure religion was doing it without the help of the world. And the world wasn't the planet but the constitutional order and system of government. That's what your Strong's Concordance says. That's what the word means. And there were constitutional orders and systems of government back then helping the poor with free bread and free wine and free cheese and free money and even health care under uh, Emperor Nerva. And uh, it was made, that, that system was making the word of God to none effect because it was not like Christ. It wasn't in the spirit of Christ. It wasn't in the spirit of John the Baptist who said you help one another through charity. They didn't want to help one another through charity. They wanted to help one another through force. You got millionaire talk show hosts now like uh, Whoopi Goldberg talking about how good socialism is while she lives in million dollar homes and is rich. 
preaching the gospel of progressivism, which is the gospel of, yeah, it's okay to take a bite out of your neighbor if you think he's richer than you. Those people are living by the blood and the flesh of their neighbor. But Christ said, no, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. His flesh was freely given. That's the difference. He was rich, but he made himself poor. That's what Paul tells us. You believe in Paul? Well, Paul said Jesus was rich, but he made himself poor. And of course, there's every reason to believe that he was rich, but he made himself poor. Well, why did he make himself poor? Because he was going to be a priest to all people. He was going to be the high priest. He was going to take John the Baptist's place. As the priest of the righteous kingdom of God. Not the priest over there of the Pharisees who were making the word of God to none effect. He was going to take the kingdom away from them. So what are we doing today? Are we doing what the Pharisees were doing? Or are we doing what John the Baptist was doing? Do you take care of your your widows and your orphans and your needy through faith, hope, and charity? Or do you do it through force, fear, and violence? If you do it to the men who call themselves benefactors but use force, fear, and violence, they exercise authority one over the other, you're not a Christian and you're not living by the blood and the flesh of Jesus Christ. You may stick a wafer of bread on your tongue. You may let your priest sip wine. But you are not doing what Christ said. If you're not sitting down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands in a network that cares about those people in your congregation and those people in the next congregation and congregations in New York or Florida as much as you care about yourself, you're not doing what Christ commanded. If you think you're a minister of Christ... And you're not trying to help the people, organize the people by telling them to organize themselves, making them, requiring them to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, to do all the social welfare of your congregation. If you're not trying to do that, you're not a minister of Christ. And you're not an ordained minister of Christ if you're not following the other commands of Christ, now I say other commands of Christ, there's only one place. If you look up, you know, I I mentioned already Mark 6.39, where it says that Jesus commanded something. Well, yeah, that's what he did. He commanded them to make all the people, you know, 20,000 some people, 5,000 heads of families, which would be the elders of that that congregation of people that was a congregating out there in the middle of somewhere, out in the countryside, to make them sit down in these companies and ranks of fifty, of tens, fifties, and therefore hundreds and thousands until they got to five thousand. And he was commanding that. Well, somebody says, well, he commanded a lot of things. Well, actually, the word commanded shows up several times in in the Bible. The word in this particular is uh, epitasso, which is a combination of two words, epi and tasso. 
And uh, it actually only shows up about ten times in the Bible. It includes when they commanded to cut off the head of John the Baptist. That's not Jesus commanding. That was the governments of the world commanding. It includes when Jesus commanded commanded that the wind stop. And it includes when uh, Jesus commanded the demons to come out of the individual. You know, the, this, this spirit that had gotten to be indwelling in this individual. Uh, he commanded it to come out. And they actually begged him, don't, don't, don't command us to go into the pit, but command us, you know, do something else. And he commanded him to go into the pigs. You remember that story. Now a lot of people won't believe that, but of course a lot of people don't understand that. But, uh, the fact is these unclean spirits, as they talk about, uh, they do exist. It's, it is real. But what is not real is the fact that most people who think they are Christians are not really Christians. Because a Christian, by definition, is someone who is doing what Christ said to do. Now, there are many things that Christ said to do, but these are the only places where God, where Christ commanded something. So, he commanded the demons to leave, he commanded the winds to stop, and he commanded us to make the people sit down in tens, hundreds, and thousands before there is any redistribution of the loaves and fishes. Now, of course, we are helping people. We have helped people with their medical bills, and we've helped people with their mortgage, and we've helped people, you know, we've given shelter to people, you know, we changed colostomy bags, <laughs> we've uh, nursed people back, you know, uh, brought them out of hospitals where they're ridden with sores, and, and we... And we helped heal them so that that these things went away and people threw their canes away and all this stuff. But are we doing it to the tune of 2.4 million people? Are we saving lives to that point? No, we aren't because so many people are addicted to false religion. To religion that makes you feel righteous. Makes you feel good. Makes you feel holy. Makes you feel like you're a follower of Christ. But they don't actually do what Christ commanded. And because they don't do what Christ commanded, they don't do what Christ said to love one another. Oh, they'll love those who love them in their local congregations, but they won't love people far away. People they don't even know. People that don't love them because they don't even know them. They won't cast their bread upon the waters. They're not real Christians. They've been traumatized by false religion. And in that trauma, they have become addicted to false religion. And they cannot see the kingdom to even look for it. They, but we're complicated creatures. I mean, they see bits and pieces and parts like looking through a glass dimly. And they may move towards it a little bit, but they can get easily distracted. You know, I mean, this is why Christ talked about all these seeds of truth that he's throwing out about the kingdom being a kingdom of love and charity and hope, not force and fear and violence. But people go and depend upon the, the, the religion of violence offered by the world 
the the religion of force, the the way they take care of one another through force offerings and through borrowing against the first the the lives of their children, the labor of their children, so they curse their children and make them a surety for debt, and they themselves become merchandise because they covet their neighbor's goods through the agency of the world, the constitutional orders and systems of gov- government that they have created with their own hands. They worship the governments of the world. Now, some people want to come out of that, but they don't want to enter into the kingdom. They don't want to seek the kingdom. They don't want to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. They want to divide the people with their doctrines. Doctrines that Jesus never mentioned. They're not following Jesus. They're following the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees had the doctrines that they have today. They call themselves Torah keepers. But they don't understand the Torah. You know, and we have several articles, and you go look at them. We talked about this at the Burning Bush Festival. We'll release the, we did make an audio at the Burning Bush Festival. And we're, we're trying out new equipment that we paid for with money out of our own pockets here. We didn't pay for them with the money that should be helping one another out there amongst you. See, one of the things that people don't understand is that if you go, if you're in a church or in a congregation, or home church even. You, that, and a lot of home church groups like to have this, this fellowship with, you know, maybe they have ten families in their home church and they all meet. Maybe they only have three or four, but that's okay. Two or more. They, that's, that can be a church because, well, that could be at least a congregation. A free will, you know, a free assembly. And they care about one another. And they, you know, they hug each other. Maybe they greet each other with a kiss, as it says in the Bible. Uh, and that's great. But that's just a congregation. That's not the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. That's not kingdom. That's just mutual fellowship. And thieves and robbers do the same thing. You know, I mean, how many times have you seen a movie about the mafia and they come in there and they kiss each other on the cheek? You know, and they, they love each other, and they're loyal to each other, and they protect each other, and they risk their lives for each other. But they're mafia. They're not Christians. So the fact that you do that, but then you say we're coming in the name of Christ, but are you doing what he commanded? In Mark six thirty nine and 40? And what the early church did for a thousand years in Europe? That even though there were 5% of the people in Europe, they altered history by their tens, hundreds, and thousands. That were operating by faith, hope, and charity. And forgiveness. Oh, they would step on each other's toes. And, you know, Barnabas and Paul argued. But they forgave one another. And they worked together. And they were pursuing the same kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not the kingdom of me and my self-righteousness. So, you, everybody needs to join with either our network or some network where they start showing that they care about one another more than they care about their personal philosophy. You know, like I said, Torah keepers, and I don't want to pick on them because it's really no difference, the, you know, the Protestant keepers and the, and the, you know, all the other religions that they have their little doctrine, 
and they cling to that. But if they need to take care of the widows and orphans, 90% of the care that the widows and orphans in their church receives are from men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And you telling me you're doing what Christ said? He said you're not to be that way. But every home church I know just about does it that way. Every, you know, Protestant church I know does it that way. Every Catholic church I know does it that way. The Jehovah Witnesses do it that way. The, the Mormons do it that way. The Jews do it that way. And the Muslims do it that way. They depend on men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority one over the other. And that statement of men who call themselves benefactors is specifically referencing the governments, the rulers of the other nations, not the nation of Christ. See, the nation of Christ doesn't sit in a particular location. It's not here or there. It's people who will actually come together and do what Christ commanded to take care of the needy of their society through faith, hope, and charity. That's not what modern Christians are doing. They have been traumatized by false religion and false prophets. And maybe by their own sins and their own greediness. And their own need to feel justified, to feel good. And they need to repent of that and turn around and say, I need to really dedicate my life to doing what Christ said if I'm going to say I am a Christian. And people are not doing that. The means to do it are available. We show you how the first century church operated. We show you how that translates into modern terms. And it's amazing how identically it can fit into what you're doing. But people don't want to sit down. They want to feel justified. You know, like maybe I know something you don't know. And so I believe that. I'm not doing what Christ said, but I believe this other thing. But that's not, that's not what, you have to be a doer. You have to be a doer of the word. And so we, we bought this new equipment to try to get out and start doing more podcasts and, uh, doing more interviews and, uh, having more conversations with more people, uh, that are out in the world, and some of them are doing kingdom tracks. They don't quite understand everything I just explained to you. I, I will also uh, release this week on the network. You should join the network if you want to see them. I did uh, a um, uh, three-part piece, including live interviews, and uh, I did it a while ago, uh, but somebody brought it to my attention again. He thinks I said something in there, and I, I've listened to the hours of broadcast to find out what, where I said this. And I can't really find where I said exactly what he was paraphrasing. But what he was paraphrasing, he was from South Africa, uh, and, he, and he was paraphrasing it to me. Uh, and it did not ring a bell, because it's not accurate, his paraphrase. It, it was a good attempt based on what I did say. But I would like what his paraphrase was saying to be true. But I can't make it true without you. Without people sitting down in those tens in a network 
for thousands and thousands of people. If you could do that, then I could do what uh, the the gentleman from South Africa was suggesting that we want to do. Because it is something we want to do. It is something that the early church did. But we can't do it unless you guys... I mean, it's like we can't distribute the loaves and fishes until you guys sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We can't do it because Christ said, no, they got to do that first. So right now, people are spread out. And so a lot of times these people can't see each other unless they do it by phone. But there's so many things blocking their way, so many ideologies that they have accepted as true as kind of a life vest. You know, I've talked about this before. The guy clinging to the wreckage out at sea and the lifeboat finds him and tries to pull him in. He won't let go of the wreckage. Yeah, there's a boat here. It's dry in here. We got blankets and towels and we got food and we've got water. Come on in the boat. No, no, I got to keep holding this wreckage because he was holding that wreckage so tight he can't let go. And that's what people can't let go of their religious ideologies. You know, I know, I know people who are Torah keepers and they, but it's a process and I'm, I'm patient. I'm going to wait for the process, but I have to talk about this. Where they had interpretations based on what the Pharisees said that the Old Testament meant. Even though we know Christ said the Pharisees got it wrong. Pharisees thought they were following the Torah and they were actually making the word of God to none effect. And so now most of the modern churches tell us what the Pharisees said about the Old Testament. We've shown you that there were other Jewish groups, Hebrew groups, who were reading the Torah and came to completely different conclusions than the Pharisees. In, in the matter of sacrifice, in the matter of clothing, in the matter of calendars. People say, well, you know, we have to use this particular calendar. I was going to look and see. I think I have an article on calendars at Preparing You. You can go check. I won't do it right now. And I was going to add that to our article on breaches and our article on fringe and our article on Levites and our al- article on metaphors and allegory and sophistry because all those are complementary. They're all showing you how they can deceive you and get you addicted to their ideology because of the trauma of the fact that we're not in the kingdom now and we haven't been following Christ and bad things happen. And if you want to get good things to happen, you have to submit to the good way of Christ. You have to follow the way of Christ. And that would start with at least doing what he commanded and then doing what he said. But anyway, uh, the Pharisees were using a lunar calendar. And there's actually more than one lunar calendar interpretation as to what that calendar looked like. But the... Uh, Supposedly, the Essenes, who were doing things very much like what Christ said to do, they wouldn't take oaths because Christ said not to, because they weren't doing it before Christ said not to. Uh, they were operating by charity. They weren't eating the free bread of Rome, or they weren't the lovers of soft things uh, where people wanted these benefits from the, the, the temple, and the temple was collecting the funds for those benefits by force. They were more like John the Baptist, who said, no, we have to do this by charity. They didn't involve themselves in animal sacrifice hardly at all. I mean, they kept the Passover, but they said that the 
Pharisees' interpretation of animal sacrifice, their interpretation of the Torah concerning animal sacrifice was a fiction and a fraud. Now, there always was sacrifice, but exactly what they were doing, that seems to be a confusion. Of course, we wrote an article on sophistry that show you what they were actually doing and what those terms in the Hebrew actually meant. And, And we don't redefine the words. We take your concordances and show you what those words mean, and we show you why those words mean that, based on the letters in the Hebrew language, because that's the way the Hebrew language is written. But anyway, we have lots of recordings on that, lots of articles on that, and you can go study that. But the reality is, the sacrifice was the welfare of the righteous. And they did it through free will offerings. The modern church, they have a welfare of unrighteousness. The Bible calls them the wages of unrighteousness or the rewards of unrighteousness because those benefits are taken by force from your neighbor, by men who exercise authority one over the other, and then provided you. They've run out of resources from your neighbor, so they're now taking from your neighbor's children by borrowing money against the future, which makes them not Sabbath keepers, because the Sabbath, that people hate this sometimes, some people hate this when I say, the Sabbath is not about a day, it's about a way, which is why you get that explanation. But anyway, back to the calendar issue. You can go look these, look up the word Sabbath, we have articles, we have audios that explain this in great detail. Sabbath. Shem Beit Tov. If you know the meaning of those letters, you know what the Sabbath is about. If you don't know the meaning of those letters, you might think that the Sabbath is about a day. They have a special day and you, you're keepers of day. The apostles even say that they wor- you worry us because you become keepers of days. So we'll talk about the calendar issue when we come back a little bit. Maybe I can take some time and find the article. But I can tell you why the Essenes didn't use the lunar calendar, or supposedly didn't use the lunar calendar. They actually used three calendars. But like I said, we'll probably have to talk about that when we come back. But you have to stay tuned to be back. We'll be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So, I said I'd talk a little bit about calendars, and I did check. And, yeah, we have an article on calendars. It used to say calendar issues, but now it just says calendars. Either one will find, you know, if you go to Preparing You, you can search for that. I don't believe that article is actually on His Holy Church, but it's one of these issues that uh, is constantly coming up. Because uh, people are dividing one another because if you don't use their calendar, then you got a problem. Uh, or they got a problem with you. And they separate themselves out. They don't sit down. And I, I can imagine understanding that, that we're going to have all kinds of tr- problems when people go to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because they're going to say, well, I'm not sitting with them. They use the wrong calendar. And I'm not sitting with them. Now, of course, these people that were with Christ at that time, they'd already come to some conclusion uh, about what 
they had been taught by the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Zealots and the different sects. There were all kinds of different sects. Those are some of the major ones. And, uh, of course, there were probably Essenes there. So, chances are, the first time they sat down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, you'd find this group over here had Essenes in it. And this group over here had some of the Pharisees. Because we know some of the Pharisees followed Christ. And probably even some of the Sadducees followed Christ. And certainly some of the Zealots followed Christ. And some of them fell away from following Christ and went off and, you know, attacked the, you know... uh, the garrison at Masada and took it over and attacked the people at uh, at uh, Jedi and uh, killed them and because those were scenes at Jedi and they were attacked by zealots and the, and those zealots then evidently fled to Masada and then eventually ended up dying up there and people hold that up they died for their faith but it wasn't faith in God it wasn't faith in Christ it was a faith in their ideology. Now, I can't, I'm not condemning them as a whole group because that's not way condemnation comes and I don't have the right to do it. But I want you to see the foolishness and errors of people so you don't fall after those same foolishness. And this is what Christ was saying. He didn't come to uh, condemn the Pharisees. He came to take the kingdom away from them and give it to those who would bear fruit who were not called Pharisees. They were called apostles and they were called uh, his little flock and they were eventually called Christians. But they were the ones who were actually going to follow the way. So that's your choice. You're either going to follow the way or you're going to follow some other way that is not the way of Christ. And so anyway, I just uh, changed one of our uh, little templates that is appears on the bottom of the pages uh specifically the one on allegory. So now that one will say, uh, it will also mention calendars. We already have on that article, uh, you know, what's the red heifer? What's the altars of clay and stone? What's uh, what's the breeches? What's the fringe on your little pr- prayer cloth? What's that prayer cloth all about? Uh, what's the trees? What kind of trees are you eating of the tree of knowledge? Uh, or are you eating of the tree of life, which is the Holy Spirit? But I also added calendars and one purse. Why Why is this one purse running towards death? Who are the fathers of the earth? I mean, I could add in there the benefactors. And But if you go to these different articles, you'll find links to all the others. And we have an outline page, so that probably now appears on the outline page because I changed that. And these are some of the work that we're constantly doing. I was up early, early this morning uh, working on all these things to try to lay out for you what the kingdom of heaven is. But if you only read the website and read the articles and listen to the audio podcast, but you don't actually become a doer of the word established by Jesus Christ, you're out. I'm not going to put you out. I'm not going to separate you out. Uh, I'm not going to condemn you. I don't have the power to do that. All I have the power to do is bear witness to what God is showing me. And if you're seeing what God is showing me, then why don't you gather with me through gathering with local congregations? You know, I have people that are always picking me as minister, and then they say they want to tithe to me. I say, no, you pick a minister in your local area, you tithe to him. Well, I'm cutting off source of support from outside of my, uh, you know, labor. That's why, 
even though a Levite is supposed to retire at 55 from physical labor, I'm still doing physical labor at 70. Because I want you guys to learn. I mean, it's going to take a lot of work to start becoming the entire social welfare of a network of people who actually want to believe in what Christ said and not what men say about Christ. So anyway, on the calendar issue, so I pulled out that page, and I'm not going to go through it all, but basically what it comes down to, I'm looking to see how big that page got. I probably didn't cover everything. I should probably break down. I don't, I'm not going to do it right now. I don't have the time. But break it down into the fact that there were at least three calendars, and they're probably mentioned on the page. And uh, there was, of course, a, a sidereal calendar of the stars, because they were looking at that, and that's talking... Sidereal calendars are really good for navigation, and uh, it also has a certain value to it in general prophecies, uh, because it covers age. This, the stars are moving, you know, the, uh, you know, we're moving from, you know, one age, the age of the fish to the age of Aquarius, etc. Uh, of course, most people don't understand what all that means, but, all that stuff has some sort of bearing, but mostly it was of interest to the Essenes and to those who were following the true Judaism of Moses because it helped them navigate. But if they wanted to plant crops, they were going to have to use a solar calendar because the solar calendar was going to tell you where we are in the seasons when to plant crops. But if you wanted to do a feast... Well, the feast had to end up on full moon nights because when you have full moon, then you have a certain amount of light and it's a feast and people are going to stay up late. <laughs> and there aren't street lights and especially when you're out in the country. So they were, and also, you know, where you didn't have clocks on the wall and you couldn't check your phone to see what time it is and everything. You looked up at the night sky and you said, oh, the full moon is approaching. I need to start on my way to where they're holding the feast this year. And they had a remarkable system of communication all throughout the empire because they could be attacked and overnight they had to muster an army because they only had a local militia. They didn't have a standing army. Even the kings were forbidden to establish a standing army. They often did. But that was supposed to be in their constitution, written in their constitution, and not create a standing army. But you have to understand how to read the Hebrew. So you may have to read the article on sophistry (laughs) and some of the other articles. But anyway, so they had all three calendars and they used them for different purposes. And they were pretty smart folks back then, those early Israelites. But the Pharisees kind of were dumbing down people and telling them what they wanted to tell them so that they could gain control. I mean, the richest, the richest people, the most affluently living people in Judea at the time of Christ were the high priests. They lived in more opulent quarters than the king himself. That's why Ananias wanted to be the high priest. And Ananias was constantly getting his sons and even his son-in-law appointed to be high priest. Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Ananias. And I believe, and we've talked about this before, there's a lot of evidence to suggest it. They don't necessarily prove it, but suggest it that just based on what Jesus said, that Caiaphas eventually repented. And became a Christian, which shows you how important forgiveness is. 
if you have a beef with, you know, if Paul has a beef with Barnabas and Barnabas with Paul, they need to forgive one another and continue. They can't say, well, I'm not going to have anything to do with them anymore. Forgiveness is divine. It is the divine way. But anyway, so that's the calendar issue. So people who are trying to divide one another because you don't use my calendar, they are are workers of iniquity. They're dividing the people instead of bringing them together. And so, like I said, you can go and uh, now you can read that and you'll find a link on the bottom of the calendar page to what breaches were. And uh, this is this is something that always comes up. I've talked about it a number of times in the the three audios that I'm going to release uh, on the network. So you got to be on the network if you want to see those uh, the, here and find the links to those audios. So you need to go to preparingyouorhisholychurch.org and join the network, and then you'll get them. You could, you could probably eventually find. You know, it's hard to find them into the hundreds and hundreds of audios. Uh, there's we can show you how to find them, but if you just join the podcasts or look for Keys of the Kingdom podcasts, you have to find that particular audio, which is called His Plan. And there's three of them. You know, His Plan 01, His Plan 02, His Plan 03. Pretty simple. But uh, we're going to release them on the network in the next day or so, and you can listen to them there. And then that will help you get into the podcast. But if you get into a congregation, your minister should be help you to find these things so you can learn more about the kingdom. But anyway, on the bottom of the calendar page, uh, now, or at least, uh, well, it's not on all the calendar pages yet, but it will be, uh, on the allegory page, if you get onto that, or you look up the word metaphor, or you look up the word sophistry, or strong delusion, or golden calf, uh, we're starting to include this deal where it will also show you where the breaches are, what what is meant by the fringes of your prayer cloth, because you're not supposed to elongate those fringes. What does that mean? What what are the fringes? You know, I mean the fact that the word fringes is the same word as blossom, does that mean anything? Because I mean what do you what do you get before you bear fruit? You get a blossom. So is it really about tassels on a piece of cloth? I mean, you're supposed to hook these fringes to the corners of your covering. But what's your covering? Is it a piece of woven cloth or is it a piece of woven righteousness? Is, you know, because if you go back to our article on breaches, you're supposed to sew the underwear of the Levites. If you're a Torah keeper, are you sewing the underwear for your ministers? It doesn't have anything to do with your BVDs. These are symbols. If you don't understand the symbols, you're not going to understand the Torah. You're going to think, oh, i got to sew underwear. And i got to get a piece of cloth and put fringes on it. And that's not what he's saying. That's what people are saying God is saying. You know, that you you got to pile up altars and kill sheep and set them on fire. That's not what they're saying. And that's why you're not doing what he's saying because you don't know. Well, some of you are not doing it because you don't want to do it. You're not interested in living by faith, hope, and charity. You're you're interested in feeling righteous. But some of you actually want to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But your ministers aren't really explaining what Moses was saying, what Christ was saying. Because they were in agreement. 
they were saying the same thing. If you really want to be a Torah keeper, you need to be sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. And you need to give covering to your minister because he doesn't have any power. He doesn't have the power that the the world has. He can't force your offerings. And so if you give him offerings, that they may count it as income. You need to give him covering. And that's what the breaches are about. It's not about his underwear. It's about a covering. And the fringes that you attach to your covering is not about a piece of cloth with fringes on it. It's about blossoming in the ways of righteousness and eventually bearing fruit. Because if you're not bearing fruit, the kingdom is going to be taken away from you, except for the fact that you probably don't already have it. And you're not really a Torah keeper. And if you think keeping a, you know, a lunar calendar 365 days out of the year, or 360 days out of the year, depending on, you know, where, what you're talking about, uh, is making God happy, you don't even know what the calendar is. Because the calendar is a tool for you. The altars are a tool for you. The tens, hundreds, and thousands are a tool for you so that you can seek the ways of Christ and actually perform your duty to God and your fellow man in pure religion. I didn't even mention the red heifer, but what is the red heifer? Does it have anything to do with a red cow that's got nothing but red hairs in it? There's actually guys going out there sifting through every hair on heifers to try to find which one has only red hairs with no white hairs. Well, the reality is those white hairs can come. You bump the cow and and it can damage a follicle and that follicle turns white. That isn't that isn't what it's about. You guys are worshiping the ideology, not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're seeking your image of the kingdom of God and your personal self-righteousness. Stop it. <laughs> God wants you to stop it. He wants you to actually seek righteousness, come together, forgive one another, love one another. Don't just love those in your little local congregation who come and listen to your, your, the ideology you worship. Come together and actually seek the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God by fulfilling your duty to God and your fellow man. And not just the fellow man that you're in congregation with, but the fellow men you don't even know on the other side of the country, even on the other side of the world. How are you going to do that if you don't sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands? You can't. It's just obvious. You won't be able to do it. And it's evidence to me that you are not following the Holy Spirit if you will not sit down in the tens, fifties, hundreds, and thousands. If you will not, not only love those who love you, but love those you don't even know. If you will not cast your bread upon the waters, then you don't really believe in the Torah. You're, you're playing religion in your imagination. Now, everybody does this to some degree. We're all traumatized, you know. I mean, I studied to be a Catholic priest for years. Well, not a lot of years. 
Because pretty soon I was saying, like, that's not it. That's not it. This doesn't fit. Something's wrong here. I changed spiritual directors more than once, I think. Can't remember all of them. But I had conversations with people that were also waking up. And I'm still having conversations with people that are waking up. And people that are a little drowsy. You know, my son was up to the wee hours of the morning trying to put this equipment together and he found himself one cable short. <laughs> so, but this is just another, uh, kind of dry run. Uh, I actually used the phrase wet run the other day because a dry run is when you're not doing it. We're actually doing it on the, on the fly here. We did it during the festival. We did a program. Uh, with this equipment and it worked out pretty good we had some glitches but we figured it all out and now we're doing it in another location the idea is so that we can move this equipment from location to location we can go around and find other people now we do have people that are coming to the valley and we'll have uh, conversations with them we'll do podcasts and we'll start releasing those podcasts under keys of the kingdom and it'll be up to you to take those and share them with your friends and your congregations and your and the strangers in your midst and see if you can't get more and more people to sit down in this simple little network you know i mean when the nazis invaded france they formed the same kind of network because they had to to survive but uh and the norwegians did uh, similar things up in norway some of them not all of them, but some of them. And, uh, and, of course, the American Revolution, they were doing the tens, hundreds, and thousands during the American Revolution, which is where the Minutemen were going. They weren't going to go tell everybody. They weren't just randomly telling people. They were already organized. And they had to be because of Indians, because of floods, because of fires. I mean, what happens if you have a giant forest fire coming? Who's going to fight that? You, what, do you just call the Forest Service and they run over and put it out? In those days, they were... The keepers, uh, to dress and keep the, the land. And when the fires got out of control, they had to go fight them. And so how did they do that? They organized in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. The buddy system times ten. So that they could put boots on the ground. When they wanted to build schools, you know who built the schools in Virginia? And probably in many of the other states? The militia. That's who built the schools. That they had. And you could even call them public schools. But they were run by the local people. They weren't run by the Department of Education. And it was the local people in the militia who built them. And hired the teachers. And they controlled that education themselves. They were public because they opened them to the public. Not because they taxed people to fund them. People say that Jefferson wanted to have public schools. In Virginia, and he had a bill. Uh, nobody's read it. Well, I read it. <laughs> of course, I'm the, the the weird guy who read the Social Security Act and actually read the Torah in the Hebrew and and realized what people are missing by the grace of God. I w- I was deluded too. You know, when I was studying to be a priest, I was deluded. I thought. You know, I knew I wanted to find God in, in God's way, but, you know, everybody was telling me, oh, it was this way. And eventually, it didn't take me a real long time, but eventually I said, that's not it. That's not the way. There's another way. 
And I wandered around the country and got married and had children. And finally, suddenly, God said, hey, I want you doing something else. Okay, what is that? And here I am doing it. But what am I doing? I'm trying to get you to do what he said too. I mean, it's written down right there what he said to do and what he said not to do and what he commanded us to do. But people are still more interested in their little local group than they are in the kingdom. So they divide each other with their own winds of doctrine. Which actually, that's what we've been going through in, in step by step. And somebody has this doctrine about a calendar or about fringe or about breaches or about stones or about stoning people. And we say, oh no. That's not what they're saying. And we show you what they're saying. But none of that does any good because it's of those trees of knowledge unless you actually become a doer of the word. And when you become a doer of the word, well, then the spirit can dwelleth in you. But if you block out the truth, you say, oh, I don't, that's too much. I don't want to see this. this is what, the, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they go, oh, we can't do that. Because you're suggesting that we give up the free bread of Herod and the free bread of Rome. And we don't want to give up that free bread because that's who takes care of our parents through social welfare. And it caused the people to do no more ought for their parents because they said, no, you just go to the government temple and get your social security. I, I don't, I, I, I give to them and you go to them and you get what you need. But the problem is, that's not the way of the Ten Commandments. That's not the way of Christ. It's not the way of Moses. But yet you tell me you're a Torah keeper, and that you're a follower of Christ, and that you're a Christian. Well, how can you be making the Word of God to none effect with the Corbin of the world and be a Christian? You're actually a worker of iniquity. You can stop. You can turn around. That's called repentance. And go the other way. You have to think another way. And it, it's, it takes some humility to realize, oh my gosh, I'm wrong. It took some humility when I realized I was wrong. And occasionally I'm still wrong. And I admit I w- I'm wrong. And I apologize that I'm wrong. But there may be reasons why I was wrong, and I will also voice those. It doesn't excuse the fact that I was wrong, and I'm imperfect. But if, you know, like uh, we had people who were not staying with a congregation because people in their congregation were not perfect. (laughs) Christ was healing people that were not perfect. He was serving people that were not perfect. And what makes you think that a congregation wants to gather with you if everybody in that congregation is perfect? Because you're not perfect. But the kingdom of God is about forgiveness. It's about change. It's about charity. It's about love. Not just loving those who love you, but love those who you don't even know. So what is the red heifer? Well, you guys just have to go look that up. (laughs) I've got to tell you again. But it isn't about cows and their color. But anyway, um, uh, I have uh, some more notes here. You know, we we talked a little bit about what was in the news. 
and uh, what was what people were having trouble understanding. Uh, I have a YouTube up. Uh, the, uh, it's part three of a series uh, of the corpus of, or body of Christ established by Christ or by others. You know, that's that. It, what establishes the body of Christ? Well, the body of Christ, is, I mean, what's your body? It's full of billions of cells. And some of them are liver cells and some of them are kidney sh- cells and some of them are skin cells and bone cells. and But they all work together, supposedly for you. Occasionally people get cancer and those cells are not working for you. They're working for themselves. They don't really care about you. They're different than you. But they're living in you. They were you. They became something else. Because their their DNA was altered. And now they're cancers. And some of those cancers will kill you. But anyway, uh, I had that video up. It's still up now. You can go to our YouTube channel and see it. It's part three. Corpus of the or body of Christ. And somebody wrote a while ago. I guess a couple months ago. Thank you. You're Close, he says. So I guess I'm close. But still, stop making the good news too complicated. Good news is the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You're supposed to be seeking it. And it's righteousness. That's not complicated. But when you deal with millions of people, the way in which it manifests itself could be complicated. And what happens is a lot of people grab on to ideas and philosophies and thinking that keep them from doing what Christ actually said. We'll be back to Keys of the Kingdom. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, I was talking about the YouTube video that I have up on uh, the corpus or the body of Christ established by Christ. Now, this was an interview in Colorado, I think it was, and uh, the University of Colorado. And uh, they, we, I think the whole thing is there somewhere, but we cut it up into these different parts because they would ask a question and then uh, I would respond to it on the, on the fly. And the, the fact is, is that uh, uh, this guy, he thought I was close, but he says, stop making the good news too complicated. Well, I'm not making the good news too complicated. Like I said, it's really very simple. And he even says here, just ask Yeshua, the Messiah, the anointed almighty king forever. He establishes only a direct love relationship and communication, Yeshua says. There are, these are my family that hear the Heavenly Father and do what He says. Okay, all we're doing is talking about what He said to do, because there's a lot of people out there saying He said to do this and this and this and this, and He didn't actually say that. And there, many of the things that He did actually say, they're not doing. So, yeah, we tell you about that, and that's not making it complicated, that's just showing you what Christ called fruits. And what most Christians are, are are saying are fruits are not really fruits. The, the token helping of one another is not really fruits. If your ministers are a part of the world, they're not really part of Christ. Because they're not supposed to be part of the world. You're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. 
not dependent upon it, not eating at the table of men who exercise authority and compel the offerings of the people. You're not supposed to be eating at that table. But most of the congregants can't, you know, most of the elderly congregants can't survive unless they eat at the table of men who exercise authority. And they, they can't because the church is not doing what it said, it, what it was told to do. So they're not doing what Christ said. They are like the benefactors who exercise authority because they're, they're the ones who provide what you need for religion. So anyway, so I ask you, you know, so it's not complicated, as I said, but where's your daily ministration? Are you taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity alone, without the help of the world? You know, without being spotted by that system of force. Well, it's not spotted. It's painted over by the system of force. <laughs> because 90% of all the stuff that they get, it comes from those men who exercise a force and borrow against the future and violate the principles of the Sabbath and, and curse your children with debt. That's just the way it is. So, are you taking supplies to other countries like we see with Barnabas and Paul? I asked them that. He's never answered me. Do you even know where to take such supplies? Where are the ministers of the church who are rightly dividing the bread from house to house? That's what they were doing. The ministers today, they, they just divide a wafer from tongue to tongue. They, they don't really take care of... The, they, they, if you need help, they send you to the people who offer free bread by force. That's not Christian. That's Antichrist. It doesn't have anything to do with obeying government or paying taxes. I'm not telling anybody not to pay taxes. I'm telling people to repent and seek the kingdom of God, which provides for the needy without taxes because they do it through charity, which is called love. But people, they, they want their big house. They want their nice car. They want, uh, they don't want to be bothered. You know, go to the government. You paid in, go to the government. Nobody paid in enough. It's been bankrupt from the beginning. As a matter of fact, they even started the system because the government was bankrupt during the Depression. That's why they needed you. They needed to make you collateral for debt. And this is not unique to the United States. We can see the same thing in Australia, the same thing in South Africa. We can see the same thing in China. You know, there's a group in China that have been uh uh gathering it was some people say it's one of the uh fastest growing i don't know i guess they call it a religion it's not really a religion although it has their religious characteristics and the fulangong fulandafa they call it and they have three basic principles in the teaching that you have to strive for truthfulness you have to say the truth about everything, about yourself, about your neighbor, about everything. I mean, you don't have to go beat everybody over the head for it, but if you say something, it needs to be true. And you have to have compassion. You have to care about others as much as you care about yourself. And you have to have forbearance. You know, I mean, like, what's forbearance? You know, 
But these are the fundamental natures of the cosmos, they say, of reality. You know, I mean, it loses something in the translation. It's a Chinese philosophy that came out of uh, out of that country, and I guess the Japanese have it too. And but and you'll you'll see practitioners of this because one of the things they do is they like to go out in open air in the park, and you know they're moving their hands slowly, and they have a whole routine that they go through. They move their hands, but and. This is kind of their prayer time because they're thinking about being truthful, being compassionate, and having forbearance, tolerance, temperance. That's 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 just the form that they take. It, I mean, it doesn't matter if you move your hands and you're not truthful, and you move your hands and you're not compassionate, or that you aren't forbearing. That that is the the critical thing. So, the criteria for differentiating uh, right from wrong, the differentiating the reality from your truth, you know, because people say, you know, you have your truth. Well, you have your opinion of truth, but that doesn't alter the truth. The truth is the truth. Your opinion is just your opinion. If you want to know a definition of God, God's opinion is the truth. It is reality. That's what makes him God, is that his opinion is reality. Your opinion is just in your your mind, and it may be a delusion, it may be right. It's probably not complete or perfect. So they talk about performance of this exercise that they do, and the refinement of one's moral character. And uh, they're not really specific, you know, they don't have necessarily any particular God and all this kind of stuff. And they're just talking about being truthful, being compassionate and forbearing. And, and incorporating that in your life. And they have lots of discussions about it and probably lots of teachings about it. But it's not really a bad thing. You, it seems to me like you can be very Christian and want to be truthful, compassionate and forbearing. Which is kind of like forgiveness. I mean, you have to be a little bit into forgiveness to be forbearing. But it, it it's talking about being virtuous. You know, and I know there's a modern Christianity that says you nothing you have to do, you can actually still keep on going sinning as long as you believe in Jesus. But the fact is is Jesus says that if you love me you will keep my commandments. So if you're not keeping the commandments, that's pretty much evidence that you don't really love him. If you're not bearing fruit, he's going to take the kingdom away from you or any right that you might have to the kingdom and give it to another. And he's probably going to label you a worker of iniquity because you're not bearing the fruit. So anyway, this this virtuous temperament that the people are seeking to have naturally in themselves includes this forbearance. It includes... Uh, awakening to things, it includes giving up things. They they require, they say, that this truthfulness, compassion, and forbearance requires sacrifice. Now, a lot of people say, oh no, Jesus was our sacrifice, there's nothing we have to sacrifice. But Jesus talks about charity all the time, and if charity isn't sacrifice, I don't know what is. Forgiveness is is sacrifice. You're sacrificing judgment, you're not going to judge 
So you sacrifice your ability to judge and say, well, I'm not going to judge him. I'll leave that to God. I'm going to forgive him. That's charity. Forgiveness is charity. I'm going to love him, which is charity, taking care of this needy of your society. That's love. That's charity. I mean, take care of the widows and orphans of society to visit them. Other than just going down and saying, hi, how are you doing? Why, everybody else pays for all their needs. That's not really love. Love is sacrifice. Charity is sacrifice. Christ did not do away with sacrifice. He did away with the sacrifice of the Pharisees, which was never to be the sacrifice of the people. You're not supposed to burn up sheep and burn up stuff and give up stuff. You're supposed to take care of one another. And that takes sacrifice. You're supposed to love one another. That takes sacrifice. Giving up all the desires and all of the attachments that are found in the ordinary person. And you also have to endure hardship to name just a few. Well, that's just kind of a rundown of the basics. And we'll talk a little bit more about it. But China just warred on these people. Rounded them up, put them in, re, you know, education camps and brutalized them, tortured them to death. This is not way in the past. This is actually fairly recently. Because that's way of compassion and truthfulness is the way to liberty and freedom. You know, and I've talked recently about Article 2, Section 22 in the Oregon Constitution, which if applied to the people who have run for campaign offices in Oregon from, you know, congressmen, senators, mayors, governors, everything. Most of them are now felons. Most of them forfeit their office. They automatically forfeit. You don't have to recall them. People are out there trying to recall somebody was just, was it Tiffany, a congresswoman from a certain district trying to recall her. She appears to be clearly in violation of Article 2, Section 22. Uh, But one of the largest organizations that could do something about this, the Timber Unity Group, they don't want to touch it because some of the people they like are in violation. Of course, Governor Brown is in violation of the tune of millions of dollars. Others into lesser amounts, hundreds of thousands, maybe $10,000. But the fact is, they are all these people are sworn to uphold the Constitution. They're in violation of it. The mayor of Portland... He's in violation. All these people are in violation and nobody's doing anything about it because they have to get rid of their little pet guy. You know, the guy they like. And I'll tell you honestly, some of the guys that have violated us are pretty good guys. They're pretty reasonable, pretty courageous, but they need to step down. They don't want to do it because they don't have truthfulness. They're still sworn to uphold the Constitution, but they're not keeping it. So meanwhile, you got the, the press in there saying, oh, we got this campaign reform measure 16 or whatever it is, uh, 16 or 18, I can't remember right offhand, but it's in the article on preparing you. And they say, well, here, finally campaign reform. When the, the, the actual, if you read it, it's actually reversing the campaign reform that was required by the people and is in the Constitution. And it was actually going to open the floodgates for big money to come in and buy up congressmen, governors, and senators and, and exercise undue monetary influence on the legislation that's come. You know, it used to be that if they had, you know, if they had five bills that were passed in a session, that was a big deal. You know, 50 bills at tops might be introduced. 
Now it's 5,000 in a single session. Big bills, some of them hundreds of pages long. But you're going to get that because you're not honest. You're not truthful. You're not compassionate and you're not forbearing. You want what you want and that's it. Now you say you want things for other people, but you don't keep your word. Take oaths and disregard what you just swore to uphold. And then you wonder why you have dishonest government. Well, you're dishonest. Why do you have pastors that lie to you about the gospel? Because you lie to yourself about the gospel. You know, and some of those pastors are not really overtly lying. They just don't know. But when they're introduced to it, they don't want to see it. They don't have ears to hear. And you're just going to have to make a choice in your own heart and mind. It says, well, you know, are you doing him any good? If he doesn't want to hear the truth and you let him stay in that position. And, and you know, people say, well, you know, if I separate from him, then I think it's, uh, you know, my group is gets smaller and smaller. Well, it's not going to get bigger till it gets smaller. You know, because of the fact that you've got to remain truthful to what you know is right in your heart. To what God is showing you, you must act upon. No matter how inconvenient it is. I mean, some of these people were thrown in jail because they believed in telling the truth, which is not popular amongst the government of China. And they believed in having compassion for one another, that where you actually had to sacrifice. You had to, you know, stop doing what you, made you feel good and help somebody else. They don't want that. Communism can't thrive if a society learns to do that. Socialism, there's no need for socialism if you actually love your neighbor as yourself. If we were really a Christian nation in America, that we would not be a socialist nation today. And we are socialists. We have some remnants of capitalism, but we have become extremely socialist in all the failings that the socialists say. So how's that capitalism working out for you? We haven't had capitalism in this country since 1913. We've had traces of capitalism, but socialism has been on the rise, heavily on the rise since FDR. And so that's why we're having the problems that we're having. And you can't have socialism unless you covet your neighbor's goods. And you excuse it because you say, well, I only covet my rich neighbor's goods. But it's still covetous. You know, just the same as the guys who say, I care about my congregation. I don't care about those other guys. Because I don't even know them. I don't get anything out of caring for them. That's no good. You can't do it that way. That's not righteousness. But people can't see it. They'll say it, but they can't see it. They need to repent. And they need to take a look. And that's not all. Sometimes they get angry when they see the truth. But that's how important the truth is. That's why Christ said, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the light. That means you have to take personal responsibility for what is right. So anyway, they talk about the elevation of one's moral character uh, is achieved on the one hand by aligning one's life with the truth, compassion, and tolerance. You know, that word tolerance or forbearance, you know, it really has to do with forgiveness doesn't mean you tolerate evil. 
but you forgive those who are evil, those that are weak, those who who really don't see. And see, if you if you try to get into a congregation of ten, you're going to find people that are weak, people that got false ideas, people that want to lead people astray with winds of doctrine. You don't have to go. You'd be the rock of Christ with Christ in you. You're going to be tolerant. You're not going to excuse. You're not going to accept. You're going to tell it like it is because you've got to be truthful and tolerant. And you're going to do it not to prove yourself right or righteous or self-righteous, but because of out of real compassion for the people you like and the people you don't like. Because you've got to love your enemy. If you can't love some congregant who's not perfect or steps on your toes or says something that embarrassed you or made you feel bad, if you can't forgive them, then where is compassion? Where is tolerance? And if if you don't, if you start translating what they did into something other than what they did and saying, you know, they did this when they actually only did that, then where's truth? Truth's not there. Compassion's not there. Forgiveness is not there. So, how are you a Christian? You know, they also talk about uh, abandoning desires. Well, you know, pride. I had a discussion with somebody just the other day about pride. You know, pride is not necessarily, all pride is not necessarily bad. And I'll explain that in a minute. But let's get a negative thoughts and behaviors such as greed, profit, lust, desire, killing, fighting, theft, robbery, deception, jealousy, etc. are are going in the wrong direction. And we could, you know, Paul has a long list that includes some of those things, you know, lust for and greed for filthy lucre and gossiping. I mean, why are you gossiping? You know, why why are you taking a bite out of one another? Why are you debating amongst one another? Dividing one another over fringe or calendars or Sabbaths. I should add that to I should add that on there the, the allegory thing too. Maybe maybe it's there and I just don't remember it, but I'll add it later. Because people don't understand the Sabbath. They don't understand the breaches. They don't understand the fringe. They don't understand the metaphors. They don't understand the allegories. The Bible says that it is allegories. Uh, you know, early, uh, people at the time of Christ were writing about how the Torah was full of allegory. But we always jump to this negative judgment of other people because they don't see what we see. And, and we forsake the gathering together because of these felonious and false and and uh, fruitless debates over things that the Torah never really says or the New Testament really says. And we neglect what Christ commanded. You know, we you know, Christ talks about becoming perfect, being perfected. Well, we don't perfect ourselves through our own efforts. But we keep ourselves from perfection through our own selfishness. Which is why they're telling you sacrifice is important. 
And so, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I have no interest in anybody doing the, uh, Falun Dung, Falun Gong, or the Falun Dafa. Uh, but I thought it was interesting. You know, they, these people have been deprived of, you know, the teachings of Christ and everything. And then, of course, one of the problems is we got Protestant ministers and Catholic ministers and Jesuits and everybody else going over there telling them what Christ said. Now, some people will listen and they'll say, well, that's good and that's good and that's good, but I don't understand this. So, well, that's that's a mystery, so you don't have to understand that. You just have to show up at church and make sure you're tied. They're not really teaching the gospel of the kingdom, which is not complicated. That was one of the things I thought was interesting about the Falun Gong is that Falun Gong is that they they break it down to the very simple things. Is that you have to be truthful, you have to be honest about yourself, about your neighbor, about what you're doing, about what you're not doing. You have to be compassionate. You have to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that, isn't that the same thing that Christ is saying? And you have to be forgiving. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Yet we have to have judgment. Judge them by their fruits. Wait a minute. I thought you said judge not lest be judgment. Well, what they're saying when they say judge not lest ye be judged is not impose your will upon others. That's what people do when you say you have to have my calendar, you have to have my Sabbath, you have to have my... You, you don't love one another. You're dividing one another with the winds of doctrine, which we're warned against all over in the New Testament. And we will become divided and we will become entangled again in the yoke of bondage and we will neglect the daily ministration and we will send people to men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority to take a bite out of one another and even to curse our children with death. All done. All done by modern Christians. All excused by modern preachers. All not Seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, which is to take care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. That's simple. John the Baptist made it simple. Don't do it that way through force. Do it this way through charity. Jesus said to do that. Paul said to do that. And if you're not doing that, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God and you're not really a Christian. Now, I'm not saying you can't become a Christian. I'm not saying that even, I'm not even questioning the sincerity of your heart, but you have, it tells you that the whole world would be deceived, even the very elect. All you have to do is admit, well, I've been deceived. I need to change. How do you change? Come together in the name of Christ, in the ways of Christ, in righteousness. Sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. Start caring about your congregation and the congregations you don't even know. It's that simple. That's You can't get much simpler than that. But we're almost out of time today. We'll have another program this afternoon and hopefully we'll uh, start these podcasts. But really what I hope is that you follow the command of Christ. Till then, peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, 
books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Thank you.